Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here, joined by Melissa Griffith. Melissa, welcome back to Trending in Education. Thank you. I'm happy to be back here again, having all the conversations about all the stuff that's going on in this world. Yeah, so the gift that keeps on giving, 2020 is the year that last time we spoke, we were in the throes of this pandemic, and we were talking about the impact of COVID-19 and the, the reaction to it to our educational lives and our lives just in general, healthcare, telemedicine. We were talking to Rohit. We had a really interesting conversation with Dan Strafford, talking about the future of learning in light of COVID. That was like three weeks ago, and it feels like a lifetime ago, because within that window of time, the George Floyd murder happened, and the response to it has really been ongoing. And what we wanted to talk about is something you've been on the show talking about a lot over the years, uh, Melissa, is how do you manage an organization? How do you think about workforce development? How do you think about training your people, evolving your culture? Any high-level thoughts uh, on any or all of this? At this conversation, George Floyd, Amy Cooper's reaction, Amy Cooper's company's reaction, Mm-hmm. and swift uh, firing of her are all very interesting conversations to me. And I have, in the last couple of weeks, I've told people I went from a place of uh, just stay quiet like I always do, keep your head down, don't talk about it, to no. If not now, when? We've all been watching the protests, but we've all like seen the video. Over the last couple of weeks since the George Floyd incident and then the Amy Cooper incident, I've gone on in my journey of self-reflection. I have been a Black employee who has always been like, shit happens. It's, it's a journey, we're in progress, like let's keep going to, I need to educate myself better. I felt personally that I need to be educated more on American history. And so I've done a lot of reflection over the last year because I really wanted to have a voice in this conversation finally. Mm-hmm. After years of just wanting to remain silent, I've wanted to have a that voice. And so there fundamentally, I, I think a lot of people notice Right. But for the people who are like me that don't know this, right, I, I feel compelled to say something. The world is not fair. We all want to live in a, a very equitable world. I have for years in America, I, I've done well since I've moved to America. I, I hang around very evolved white people in America. And I feel like I live in a utopia that does not exist for most black Americans in, in America. And I think we have to unpack that. Because I think what America has had that I have not had to suffer through is systematic racism. And that is a real thing. And to think through 400 years of slavery and dealing with the impacts of slavery is is a hard thing to go through. And everyone is like, well, it's over now. Can't you guys forget it? And can't you be done with it? And I will confess I've had that feeling too. What most people I don't think realize is that Black Americans... It's not that the world is not fair and equal right now, it's that they're not starting from the same place right. as the rest of the world. And I think that is the, that's what we have to address in, in corporate America, right. is that for years, wealth has been held back from Black Americans because they move into a neighborhood and the property value goes down and then they zone it and they've had right. white only issues properties have been taken away from them when land was being distributed they didn't get it like right, right, right. there's so many factors that I encourage people to get informed about right because like, it's very good for all of us including myself to say yeah life is fair just work hard and you'll get there mm-hmm. it's another thing to see that and then on top of that to have the biases that are still put on them where cops are coming into their neighborhoods 
to protect and serve, right. but all they're doing is killing them. I think it, it's too much for a world to brave. And I think now's the time to have this conversation about what can be done. It's just a lot to process, you know, and then to try to understand what one of the things you turned me on to was Emmanuel Acho's awkward conversations with a black man, which, which I, I saw the Matthew McConaughey episode. I'm going to uh, check out a, a few more of those. You know, I'm happy to volunteer my own awkwardness to the conversation, I guess. You know, like I feel too often folks are reluctant to wade into conversations about race when, you know, that's a problem. You know, it's better yeah. to have an awkward conversation than not to have a conversation at all. And then I also think it's challenging to have conversations when there's so much, you know, signaling of virtue yes. so that if you say the wrong thing, you will be shamed. And if you get say the right thing, you will be part of sort of the the ongoing celebration of wokeness. I think it's a it's a it's an interesting time to think about free speech. And then at the same time, the protests themselves are, you know, probably the most fundamental form of speech that's available yeah. to us, particularly if there is some kind of political agenda. There's a level to which it's working through just the emotional reaction and just the the upswelling of feeling, which I understand, but then there is also a point at which it needs to turn into an agent of change and something that will actually move us hopefully closer to justice. And that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to understand. Like, how do you have, how do you have those awkward conversations? And then if you're leading an organization or if you're trying to get ahead of where the world is going, how do you, how do you stay on the right side of this conversation without, you know, exposing yourself too much? I think the conversations have to be had, right? I think everyone needs to be talking about it. It should be consuming our lives right now uh, because that's the only way we're going to learn. But I, I also, I, I want to preach empathy and understanding. I've said this to a lot of people. I have a lot of people checking in on me and for a while because I'm so oblivious to, to the crazy that I'm like, I don't understand why I'm, I'm fine. Why do you people keep asking me this? I'm always right, fine. Right. But then I, I realize why it is. And I think it's a hard thing for, for non-black people right now mm -hmm. to know how to respond. Mm -hmm. And we've got to be empathetic to this, right? Because if you reach out and ask a question or any person reaches out and asks a question, that's a hard thing to do initially. We've got to be open that you might, you can say the wrong thing. I, Melissa, I can definitely say the wrong thing in response back. And that's how we learn and grow. And this is only going to happen if we keep having the conversation. And so I have to tell people all this. One, Stop apologizing. Stop caveating. I'm not holding you accountable for anything right now. I'm right. not holding you accountable for uh, what other people are doing. You are asking a question. I'm answering it. We're having a discussion and we're going to disagree. Right. Like I may be much more aggressive in what I want to see happen right now than you are. And you will bring the other perspective. I do believe as much as Brent said, it's true. Silence is not an answer. If you are silent on this issue, you are you are on the wrong side of this issue right now. Yeah, although although I do think false noise is almost as bad as silence. You know, the shaming that is happening to brands who are performatively putting their black and white text white text on a black graphic on Instagram, when there is no backing of that up, there is a level of hollowness and conformist corporate brand sensibility that is getting a pretty good backlash at it, the same it is. time. It, it is. And I, so I, I fall on multiple sides of this e equation. Uh, I'm not centered on this for sure. So I do think 
every for every brand that's put something out there, I, I will applaud the the putting something out there, even if they are going, even if they're doing it just to be part of the we we can't not we have to have a stance on it, but we don't really mean it uh-huh. because any brand that puts something out there is helping amplify that there is a problem mm-hmm. uh, as hollow as it just as it is. That being said, I, I don't wrong the people who backlash them because it, it is not enough to say, put that out there. You've got to live your own truth. And so I've been encouraging for anyone who asked me my opinion on this topic. I have said this because I've been spending a lot more time uh, researching it and looking at it. It's going to be a problem, right? You cannot win this. You cannot win this uh, argument, right? If you put out there, like Nike said, just don't do it. Like Adidas put somebody out there, like all the consultant companies are putting something out there. And every one of them have had a lot of pluses and a lot of them have had negative comments around it. And the reality is, and none of these companies are perfect. Even I would argue if, if you had a company that had a black CEO of which the Fortune 500 is only four, that's a real problem. And, and then a, a diversity, those companies will still be being hit for something else, right? Because this is a journey you will never hit enlightenment and right now you're always going to keep having to work at it and so the best you can do when you put out a statement is go i did we cannot stand for this we are not perfect here's what we're going to do welcome your feedback on what else we can do yes. because that that i think is the thing that i actually think most black people want to hear mm-hmm. is that they're being part of the conversation and mm-hmm. it's not that no there's not a not a white ceo coming in to explain to me how i could be black better right 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 i don't want to have to make these decisions because mm-hmm. heavy is the heart that bears this so i don't want to make these decisions that being said this is not a financial issue it's a moral issue right now mm-hmm. and yep. i think finance be down on this one it's gonna hurt and because as a person who works in finance, let me be clear, this is going to hurt you more financially in the long run. People are looking for you to take a stand on this one way or another. Uh, Amazon took a stand. And at the same time, the, the actual authentic voice of the organization probably isn't there unless their workforce is already expressing themselves publicly and they're given platforms to be to be speaking their minds in an authentic way, which does take on some risks. So I, I think that's why yeah. I, I definitely empathize with managing a large, large organization through this, but I'd love to see more CEOs out there in a way that even if they are awkward, but like talking authentically about how they understand the, the racial divides. I just think like if you're a CEO, there's, there's not a lot of upside there unless you're really good. Like if you're really good, like Jack Dorsey puts himself out there yeah. because he feels pretty comfortable in his skin as a communicator. And he's very much about the culture of Twitter and Twitter is doing some interesting stuff now. So like, I do think I'll be, I'll be interested to track them, but, but like organizations that aren't led that way, you know, what do yeah. they do? Do they just put that black and white graphic out there and just kind of hope this all passes over? Or do they actually kind of come out and begin to have this, this authentic conversation 
I don't think everyone has the tools or the readiness to do it right now. I, I definitely don't think any well, everyone has the tools. I think a lot of companies don't have it. And I'm not saying necessarily that a CEO should go public because I do. There is so much risk. You're like, there's so much risk and very little upside to that because you will get hammered. What I do think, uh, authenticity knows authenticity, right? And so if you are, if you actually a CEO that truly has become uh, more aware of this and are trying to do something if you go out there with it, it i think it, you will be received well not necessarily in the broader community because that's not actually where i think your worry is your worry is your current employees right yes, when yes. when when this happens you want to make sure your entire like family is behind you, work family is behind you on this, because they're the ones that are going to go out there and be your evangelist to be like yep. settle down there Mike Palmer as a CEO is a great guy. You don't know what we know about him. They will defend you. And the problem with most CEOs that have gone out there publicly and gone backlash is that outside uh, forces of prior employees are talking about what they knew about them. And people who are in the current organization are remaining in dead silence. And so the perception is what what everyone who doesn't know you or isn't in the room with you is there. And yeah. so you got, I think you got to create evangelism. I think you got to be humble. I don't think anyone, I have not seen one person who has gotten this right. Right. And because I don't actually think it's something that you can get completely right. right. We are all learning this, right. And every black person has a different opinion on what they need to see in order to feel a piece by this. Mm -hmm. And that, that I think is a problem. Yeah. To me, it comes back to, you know, uh, an act of omission versus an act of commission. Yeah. You know, like I would say, I would argue for a, being more forgiving of people who are putting themselves out there and doing something yes. wrong from an authentic place rather than throwing a flag on them. Because I actually yeah. think that level of risk, especially if it's encouraging quiet people to come forward, giving people spaces yeah. where it's not only the the people who are good at being pained, you know, because yeah. there is a level to which you know, who's telling their story and whose stories are we trying to hear? Because uh, I think a lot of it is, you know, who who is telling the story, who is getting the screen time, who is getting the talk time, the message yeah. behind the message is where I think we all can evolve more. It's I, something you and I have talked about around this show too, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. The, the one thing it was striking me, and you and I have always joked about this, but you know what I would love to see? If a brand puts something out there, here's what we're going to do for diversity. And then here comes the plus ones. Great job, guys. And then here comes the show me your board and all the negative right. stuff. Yeah. Right? I want to see brands because I, I don't think I've seen, I haven't looked at everyone, but I don't think I've seen anyone do this. Come back with the thank you for your feedback. What else can I do more of? And we always joke about that. When you get feedback, thank you. But that's the right answer in this case. Thank you sure. for your feedback. Yeah. Do you do you want to have a conversation about it? Because sure. that shows that you're not you're not trying to justify where you are. You're on a journey. You're committed to doing something more. Mm -hmm. And my visceral reaction is every time I see the generic message come back, oh, you don't know us. We're we've always been inclusive and diversity. Right. Oh, you don't know us. Like that, you're rationalizing. Like mm -hmm. people are emotional. Like you've got to understand where they're coming from and, and go there. And that's what I said to everyone, approach it with humility. We all, no one knows what the right answer is. Mm -hmm. As long as we're open, like the authenticity will play true. Candidly, there are some people I don't think will ever think there is enough, but I think you're going to bring a lot of the audience along with you yeah. and, and your customers along with you if you are just humble about where you are. So, right.
Well, and the thing that I, I would like to see in addition to that is a little bit of swagger from some companies that are, that have a diverse yeah. board yeah. and just say we've always had diver diversity in our uh, board of directors has been a central tenet to how we've operated since we were founded, period. Yeah. And that's their ad, you know, because like I actually, board of directors, little inside baseball to people who care about that sort of thing. But, uh, but I think more of us are becoming aware of that aspect of woke. Yeah. I think it's a very good aspect of it in that follow the money, follow the influence. The board of directors really is organizing the strategic direction of the, they can fire the CEO. So like in yes. many ways, they are more the, the, the longstanding entity that is in control of the, these big organizations. And, you know, it's last I checked, it's 2020 and the the diversity that's represented on boards is not nearly where it's it still good. needs to be yeah, and and that's something that i think let the sunshine in on that like that's just something in addition to saying thank you for that feedback there's also yeah. and how soon are we going to see some changes because yeah. i do think if if this movement evolves into that level of accountability for for the governance of these big organizations but it, it is a new lens through which i was not routinely looking and that's part of how we all can evolve on this stuff because like it that, that is a pretty fundamental component to how organizations operate and beyond beyond just the board of directors yeah. like what's it, what's it like at the the c level it's the more advanced roles within an organization because frequently the the diversity can be accounted for at the, the rank and file level or the entry level within an organization. And then still at the top, if, if it's managed by the people who got you there 20, 30 years ago, yeah. the represent, the representation isn't going to be there. So how do you, how do you address that? You know, and I think that's, yeah. that's, that's obviously a challenge. And then it's related to the concept of just how do you manage your, your culture through these times? which I think, I think you're spot on, Melissa, in that it's how do you engage the, engage the entirety of your workforce in the conversation so that they, they A, believe that you're listening yeah. to them uh, so that ultimately you can begin to establish some trust really yeah. before you say anything in a lot of cases. You know, I, the things you're saying should be signaling your, your ability to empathize if possible, but just generally to give people a platform to be heard and then make yes. sure you're reflecting back, did I hear you right? And then once you get to that level of conversation, begin to try to formulate your voice. But I think if your voice is more that of a listener, you know, you're gonna get pretty far these days. Yeah, I think it's a voice of a listener. I, I feel compelled to say this because uh, I've experienced it, right? I, I personally, and I think most black people feel this way, do not wanna speak for all black people. Mm -hmm. Right, but we do want our voice to be heard, and so it's not a matter. A companies, it's not a matter of going out and picking Joe Smith and going, "Can you tell me what you like, what you're thinking?" Because right. I, I don't know what to do. It's a matter about. I, I actually think it's a matter about creating a psychologically safe spaces yes. uh, for people and for an entire organization. Because some of the people who have best informed my thinking of this have not been black. Right? They they've taken a vested interest in it. They've, uh, they've learned the history and they're thinking about it. And so I think there are a lot of voices that can be heard about this. I do think at this time, like black employees do want to speak up 
and like what they are looking for is their organization to create a safe space for them to do it yeah. or they're going to do it in the social media in the back alleys mm -hmm. of social media and that's probably not where you want them to be doing it yeah yeah and i think there's yeah. two aspects to the conversation that you need to build tools and platforms for yes one is allowing for people who identify the same way to have conversations with some safety and yeah. boundaries so that they can have those conversations without interruption, you know, without, yes. without other, other people taking talk time, taking control, taking subtle or non-subtle, you know, ownership of the conversation, just allow for that conversation that build tools and vehicles yeah. for that conversation to evolve on the one hand. And then on the other hand, don't stop there because the ultimately if your organization is creating these safe identity organized bubbles that don't don't foster yeah. intersections between those conversations and surprising engagements yeah. and genuine diversity of thought because you you make a better decision if you yeah if you get the widest array of perspectives in the room in a safe place where they know they feel like they can be heard that will foster the best group process to make the best decisions so yeah. what we were talking about i'd love to get your perspective on too is like how do you build enough space and time for this when many organizations are facing existential threats just to function p l's are being shattered business models are being uprooted and forced to be transplanted into new places. And then on top of that, the workforce is completely shook in a, in a almost more profoundly emotional way than what was already the unprecedented trauma of COVID. Yeah. So like, how do you, can you put boundaries around this? Can you compartmentalize it? Like, how do you, how do you think about leading through, through this, this sort of national crisis? I mean, the only thing I can say, and I, I can speak for myself uh, on this topic, and I, I'm curious, I would love to hear what others think about it. The conversations are happening. You are not getting work done right now. This, this time, George Floyd has profoundly shifted. It shook the world on it, right? It, literally, the world has been shook by it. So the conversations are happening. And so if you... Your work isn't getting done. You get on a meeting and, and this, this is 15 minutes of the conversation. So you've got to address it. You've got to address it. You've got to have people process whatever they're feeling to move forward to a better organization. So I, I think you just, you got to take the time. Your company will not survive. I fundamentally believe we are at a reckoning where a lot of people will lead with their wallets. That being said, maybe five months from now, maybe five months from now, we go back to the the way we were before and everyone forgets this time of movement. But my hope is that this is a shift and you're seeing it by that the marches and the protests are much more diverse in, in nature. It's a profound shift and people are going to lead with their walls on this. And so everyone has got to, every company has got to get in line. Yeah. And uh, it is, it is an interesting time. I think we talked about it a bit mm -hmm. on some of the COVID shows where globally there was shared consciousness in a yeah. way that we have never really experienced before. Everyone was sheltering yeah. at home. Everyone was making a decision about wearing masks. Everyone had to at least think about their mortality and the, the cycles yeah. of these pandemics, regardless of where you were. So there was a sort of reckoning call that every human on the planet was feeling and, and experiencing. Yeah. 
And then on top of that, through the way media sort of propagates, I think that George Floyd falling on the heels of Ahmed Arbery and yeah. Breonna Taylor, yeah. like, so like all of that happening while there was this sort of readiness to be activated collectively, you know, if there were a time for civil unrest, this would be a natural time for it. And then for it to have the triggering event to be so uh, profound. Latent, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And just like unrepentant, the amount of time, the level to which it was captured on camera, and even just the, the, the imagery of it, especially when you tie it to Colin Kaepernick and the idea of taking a knee, yeah. you know, it's just there's so much packed into this that, you know, it, it almost feels overwritten. Like if I was reading a novel, you know, yes. four or five years ago, and I'd be like, oh, come on. Actually, I'd be like, this is gripping. I'd, I'd, I'd be fascinated with what's, what's coming next. But, but like, I'd almost prefer to be reading it as a novel in a more tranquil reality. Unfortunately, that's, that's, I mean, in some ways, I think there are, sil there are silver linings, of course, but like. Yeah, it, but it is sad that it took something this blatant to do it. It's mm -hmm. happened so many times. And mm -hmm. like my, my biggest worry, and I think I told you this, is that the, the cops get off. Yes, they've charged them, but the cops right. get off. Because the reality is it's a jury of your peers and I'm not going to be surprised. I think right. it's going to, it's going to ignite even worse. And, and then, uh, and then who knows what kind of repercussions we're going to see. So we're, we're yeah. along for the ride. I, I think the main yeah. thing is, you know, make sure you're put, you get comfortable feeling uncomfortable. You get comfortable yes. putting yourself out into conversations that you may not, you may not feel hundred percent confident. It's almost like how does the imposters uh, syndrome relate to talking yeah. about race? I think it's that, we all feel like imposters when we're talking about it generally. Like I think people yeah. who people who feel like they have it 100% understood, particularly if they're on the majority side of the conversation are the ones who I probably have the biggest problem with. But, but I think if you go in with some humility, you know, ready to listen, and then also maybe with a little more awareness of where subtle things are happening to reinforce power dynamics, I think that's where I have... I try to be conscious of that and I try to at least be reflective on when I do things that are not inclusive and, and in like a blameless sort of way, just realize you're going to do it a lot. And then the more you pay attention to that type of stuff, the more yeah. you actually can start to evolve your behavior. But at the same time, you don't have to be openly corrective of others who aren't living up to your, your I ideals, you know, like as long as you treat it as a teaching opportunity, but not a shaming opportunity, I guess, is the way I, I think of it. I think for me, it's the teaching opportunity. I realized, like, I said this to colleagues of mine, I, ha I have remained silent for a lot of the things that would typically bother me. And I'm not going home and losing sleep about it. But I think it's important because when the world is outraged, and they're like, I can't believe this is not happening. There are a lot of black people that say, really? we totally believe this is happening. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's been happening for years. And so I've realized that part of the problem is we also remain silent because we don't want to be stereotyped as, oh, like, yeah. every, everything is so sensitive with Melissa. Right. Like, and so, so now, I, now, I, now I've, I've, and I don't always do it, but now I've made a conscious effort. If someone says something to me, I will be like, I know you didn't mean this. I'm just, yeah. I take it for what it is. I'm pointing out this is part of the issue. Yeah, listen, and, uh, avo avoidance like, avoidance is a fantastic defense mechanism. It, it's it's worked and for me for years. I it's probably my it's like top two, 
you know, I think yeah. it's right there, right there with denial. They're, they're, yeah. they're very close. Yeah. But, uh, but it's interesting if you do think about how people respond to race and racial issues and racial conversations, it's either denial or avoidance. Yeah. And yeah. that allows us all to function, frankly. But I yeah. think now I we're seeing that that functioning has been kind of stripped away and we actually need to get past those defense mechanisms and uh, and yeah. try to engage more in the conversation. So uh, I, I agree. My I, I do. The last thing I'll end with, I am I try to sometimes joke about it because I, I think we're gonna laugh or cry. But I do love going whenever somebody tells me something, I'm like, that is your white privilege yeah. at play. It yeah. is 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 my appropriate answer because a lot of times it is. Right. Yeah. You can tell when white privilege is seeping true and people don't even realize it. So yeah, and, exactly. And I will caveat by saying I have a lot of privilege too. It's not white privilege, but it is a lot of privilege on my side. Yeah. And I ha I've had to own up to that as well. Yeah, and there's a lot, there's a lot in that. And there's a lot in, yeah. you know, what do these words mean? How are people taught them? What are the right yeah. the thing that we really need to dig into more? What are some of the tools and interventions that work? Because I think those would be really useful for folks to to get a hold of. So we're gonna try to curate that through, yeah. you know at Trending and Ed on Twitter, hopefully more through LinkedIn and uh, through stuff that Melissa, myself, others are sharing. But, uh, but yeah, just try to engage in the conversation. We're gonna try to stay, stay positive where we can and stay authentic really throughout. And in addition to the conversation Melissa and I had, Melissa and I were joined by Dan Strafford to get his perspective and to get some exchange among the three of us. We'll pick up with that right here. And Dan, Dan Strafford, from uh, Waltham, Massachusetts. Waltham. I keep saying this week feels like a month, right? Mm -hmm. Like just each week going by feels like it's been a year and things just keep coming out that uh, make for, as a parent, decision making, as an yep. educator of my kids right now, making decisions. Yep. It's just a lot, a lot happening. A lot sure. going let, on. Yeah. Let, let me share a random talk with that. I woke up, I think yesterday and I went, God, how is it only Wednesday? And I texted that to my friend. Right? I was like, I'm not going to make it. And then I was like, oh, it's Thursday. And, I, and it was such a small win for me. I was so happy. We'll take, it we'll made take. me so, that, those are the wins that I was like, I was yeah. never so happy in my life. Absolutely. We'll take, like, take them when you can get them. A win is a win. Yeah. So, so we haven't gotten together, uh, the three of us, since we had our Future of Learning Summit with uh, Rohit Bargavo. But since then, the George Floyd murder happened in Minneapolis. Everyone had an opportunity to see that video. A lot of stuff going on for us to uh, process these days, really triggered by the George Floyd incident. But the unrest after that is still being felt days later. So much stuff has happened since then. Yeah, we have a bunch of articles. So there are ways to read things to help you understand what's going on out there. Uh, where do you want to start, I, Melissa? What, uh... There is a ton of information out there and it's good to get informed. There's also a ton of misinformation out there mm -hmm. that I, I think we need to be aware of too. I was not on Facebook and then I was on Facebook and then mm -hmm. I'm not on Facebook again. Yeah. But in my short stint of time on Facebook, even on your feed, you can just see just varying degrees of crazy on 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 what people are posting. And so I encourage people to go to trusted sources on, yeah. on this because mm -hmm. it's so important. And there's so many people that are describing the, uh, the, the movement in ways uh, that they want to describe it. Yeah, and, and just kind of building on that, because I'd like to get your take on this too, Dan, is how much this is all unfolding through social media 
and how the platforms themselves are involved. You know, so Twitter's position versus Facebook's position versus LinkedIn too, because LinkedIn is an interesting dialogue or at lack of dialogue about this, where there's an element to which there's comfort talking about it, but there's also always an eagerness in LinkedIn to to get back to doing business because that's kind of the nature of the platform. Interestingly, I think those two things are not mutually exclusive anymore. But Dan, as our social media expert, our, our lord of the Twitterverse, Sith lord of the Twitterverse, I believe. Yep. Is that correct? That's, right. That's correct. Yeah. So uh, what's going on? What's your perspective? Well, I think Melissa hit on a really key point about, we knew this before, talked about fake news, talk about any of those things, episodes past here on China Education, get context, understand the context of, of what you're looking at and maybe do the extra research. Uh, to make sure what you're reading is true. Uh, you know, journalism school teaches you two sources. Maybe they don't follow that as much as they used to, but find two sources for yourself on a story before you go sharing it on your Facebook or uh, on your social media. There's a really good Chalkbeat article that we'll share out. We've shared out on Twitter. We'll continue to talk a little bit about it, but it basically gets the stories of K-12 educators across the U.S. and just puts into context the reality of their professional experience this year, which ranges from the reaction to COVID and the changing dynamics there, including the changing emotional dynamics of the students that they're working with and their own like emotional readiness, their own health, their students' health, their students' safety. That already was in play. They were teaching online. They weren't planning to be teaching online. That's a major shift. How do they deal with that? And then on top of all that, the social unrest in light of George Floyd happens. And they're trying to understand what does it mean to be an educator now? And I thought that was powerful. I thought, you know, I'd love to get more uh, access to educators, maybe folks from Chalkbeat uh, who are doing this type of reporting, because I think the more you can hear the voices of the educators, uh, which is captured nicely in the the reporting there, but I do think, you know, I, I am someone who really gravitates to hearing in people's own voices what they're experiencing. They do a great job highlighting the heroic work that teachers who are passionate there about their profession are doing right now. I don't know, what, you, what any thoughts? Maybe Dan, yeah? Yeah, I think you, na- you nailed it for me of hearing directly from rather than the generic article about what teachers are doing, hearing the individual stories does make a huge difference for me. Their burden here is to have to try to teach through this and raise these kids in their classroom to understand what's happening in the world. When in fact, I say every night, I have no idea. I I can't explain what's happening. So uh, I respect each and every one of these teachers who's out there doing it. I find it interesting to think through, does being remote allow for more of a candid conversation? Mm -hmm. Having COVID happen and have it disrupt everything as it was allow some of these teachers a little bit more leniency than if they were in their classroom, a little bit more ability to say, Hey, we're going to talk about this today. This is what's happening around us. We're in this community. We're not going to talk about math or or science. Yeah. The math teacher who is basically doing current events. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge thing and something that hopefully we learn from, like hopefully Mm -hmm. we, we start to understand that just because you're within those four walls doesn't mean you ignore what's happening outside those walls in, in one way, shape, or form. Yeah, we talk about a social, emotional. I get social, there emotional, baby. There you go. Nailed it. But we talk about social, emotional learning and socially sensitive teachers right. who can get access in both directions to students who need help 
through digital, through remote. That's why digital inclusion to me is still probably the most important thing that I can think of that we've been raising some genuine awareness of. It is a nice one to continue to hit that note. We were talking about it prior to the pandemic. And then in light of the pandemic, it became more of a public health issue. You know, people need to understand how to get access to digital. But in addition to a public health issue, it's also an education issue. It's a, it's a learning, well, as much as your own, you know, educational advancement and cognitive advancement and socialization is a social issue anyway, helping educate people so that they can be productive citizens, they can be job ready, you know, all that stuff's really important, but to do it right, you have to do it where access to digital is, is there. I do think education is really blending more into uh, behavioral health these days. And uh, yeah, thoughts on yeah. that, Melissa? Teachers are facing an inordinate burden with this, with the social unrest that we're dealing with right now, right? And I, I think some of it has to fall back to the parents also in order to be able to help that. And I am not a parent. I am actually really grateful at this time that I am not a parent because one of the things I said, I was probably slower to react than most, and most black people to this because I don't actually have a son or a, a daughter that is good. It's going to face this right now. And I, I am living my life in, in the COVID world right now. So I'm like also just locked up. Yep. So I'm not saying the police aren't coming to my house to, to do it, but I, I felt safer. Yeah. Until I started paying attention, until I started paying attention to what my colleagues were going through, what, what teachers were going through, what students, and I started putting myself in the position of my friends who do have black kids that mm-hmm. do have to raise mm-hmm. raise those kids. And that is that is when this becomes an absolute awful thing that a as a like even as a black teacher having to tell your your black students that mm-hmm. like look this is what you're going to have to do is problematic. And I don't know if it's a burden that we can we can and should put on educators. Yeah. I think we have, it has to go broader than that. I think yeah. that's what the unrest is about. Mm-hmm. That, well, that's, it re- yeah. It reminds yeah. me of, we had uh, Paul Reville on to talk about community-based education, where it's more than just the teacher, the student and the content. It's more than even the teacher, student content and parents. It's the whole community that really needs to take responsibility for education writ large and the services surrounding education. Because education is kind of a blunt object when people talk about it. They're not necessarily talking about all the different sort of social functions. uh, And and, and quite frankly, the Black students, they're going to learn what it is like to grow up Black in America. Mm -hmm. The the key to education right now is everyone else. Mm -hmm. So Nickelodeon, during the show must pause. Yeah. Pause the show for eight minutes. They just put up a black screen, mm-hmm. and the parents were all over the the place in that because some parents didn't want to talk to their kids about this. Exactly, and that's and that's a problem, right? We we actually have to talk to the kids about black yeah. parents have years been talking to their kids about it, and this is what needs to happen now. My wife and I attended a webinar last night, organized by our church, with seven panelists talking about anti-racism. And the thing I took away from this webinar more than anything, Melissa, and it's something I think you talked about a little bit before is this is ongoing education. Like this isn't something we're just going to solve with a book or a webinar or anything like this. It needs to be an actual want to get better. And it's going to be a lifetime pursuit. Like it's going to be a lifetime of education and learning and reaching out and empathy. As a parent to that question, we're now teaching. We're going to actively teach them what they need to look for, how they can be 
an ally. They can actually be actively involved. That's part of why another article that we could talk about related to this is Howard Stevenson, Dr. Howard Stevenson out of University of uh, Pennsylvania Graduate School of Education has a really great article from an interview with him from 2016 about how to talk to your kids about race, which is still true to this day. And a lot of the recommendations for parents are very similar to the recommendations you would give to educators or you would just give to any adult who was having a conversation with a child. And then at the same time, I think adults need to learn how to talk to each other about race, which is why, particularly if we can yes. go longer on this, because I think we've already had a, we've had a handful of discussions about diversity, belonging, inclusion, and equity. There's some really great stuff out there too. So we can yeah. curate some of the emerging thinking around diversity and inclusion. Belonging is something I keep gravitating back to because I think it's, it's what's frequently missing. But, but we've already been talking about it. I think we are pretty comfortable bringing in different perspectives, respectful of everyone's sort of lived experience, but then also representing a good cross-section of backgrounds and, and perspectives. So this article, I, I spoke a lot to me. I, mm -hmm. I, it really made a lot of sense of be uncomfortable. Like it's gonna be uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable topic. Yeah. It's an uncomfortable thing to discuss and it's gonna be uncomfortable, but let that be okay. And model that behavior for your kids. Let right. your kids be okay mm -hmm. with it being somewhat uncomfortable, being confused, being right. uh, anxious, being scared. Yeah. And, I well, think and, that's and I think also recognize that if you have had the luxury of not talking to your children about race, then you're white, you know? So, so it's, it, it's likely that people yep. don't even realize white privilege is easy to forget about. And and then the conversation to make your kids aware of white privilege is not as, it's not as interesting a conversation, frankly. You know, like it's hard to get your kids' attention at the right time. But when these things happen, your kids are naturally going to gravitate to this. As humans, we are trying to make sense of the world around us. And these things happen and we have to, we have to make sense of them. We have to have stories. Real quick, as we're wrapping, uh, I want to get some some quick takes on in the workforce because there's another article, what not to say to your black colleague at the office. Just uh, real quick, the three things. Do not yeah. tell us you're scared to say the wrong thing. Love. Don't tell us, I hope things change soon. And Help, change it. Help us change it, yes. Yeah. And Correct. do not say <laughs> or expect things to be normal. So those are uh, good words of advice in this article. It's a quick read too from... Adenola Adeshola from Forbes, uh, Forbes Women. I thought it was a good article. And absolutely. And I, I will say this. I, I thought I was okay too until I realized that my temper was a lot shorter than it usually be. Like yep. there is a burden that a lot of black people are probably feeling, whether they, and probably everyone is feeling, yeah. regardless of whether you know it or not. Yeah. The pandemic has taken a toll on all of us, black and brown individuals and families more so, but everyone has felt it. And then I think there was hope that it was resolving so that we could, you know, get some relief. And if anything, more emotional yeah. work has been put on all of us. So, so yeah, so we'll keep having these conversations. Dan, any parting, parting thoughts? I think solve, solve some things, go and read and don't ask anyone to solve it for you. you right. Do the yeah. work, do put in the time and, and try to educate yourself as best you can. Yeah, be empathetic to, you know, to uh, your point as well, Melissa, you know, try to expose yeah. yourself and your family, your kids to as many perspectives as possible. Best case firsthand, best case people who you consider close in your life. 
but otherwise at least do a little research, try to get a sense of what it might feel like. It's one of the reasons why fiction and drama is powerful stuff is that you can start to understand what it feels like to be someone else. Theory of mind is uh, one of those concepts, uh, but just try to get out there, try to understand what it might be like to be someone who's not like you. And we'll be back again soon. Uh, thanks to both of you for, for having the conversation. We definitely want to continue to have it. <laughs>